On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, when ESPN knew it was time to pivot to sports betting and is the future of media a full-scale marriage with sports books, that and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees podcast where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and today's guest uh, has done it all in the sports landscape. Uh, I've got David Behrman, Chief Content Officer for the Pro Football Network. David, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be on. I, I literally said you did it all because you started off in uh, media relations for the Florida Marlins and Albuquerque Isotopes. First of all, how do you get into that? Like, did you fall into it? Is that something you wanted to do? And what does that entail? Sure. Like like most kids in high school, having absolutely no idea what you want to do with your life, you always say, hey, I'm pre-law. I'm going to go University of Florida and get a law degree because that's what everybody says they're going to do when they're 15 years old. Um, I was in Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, big fan of, of all the teams down there and season ticket holder and, and you know, obsessive listener to sports radio and um Long story short, uh, my dad had, is a teacher and he was a, a fellow mm-hmm. colleague whose husband was uh, was Dave Lamont, who was pre and post game for the Miami Heat. And I had met him at, um, at, at a picnic for my dad and his wife's teacher, the teacher's union. Mm-hmm. And I ex- was honored to meet him. I follow all the sports, you know, the sports media scene and had um, asked me if I was interested in going to um, a game. Mm-hmm like with the media and, and to watch it. And I did, and I fell in love right off the bat, like just being old big court side and being on the truck and all that. And then um, you fast forward a couple of months, I'm a senior in high school and WQAM radio, which is the, uh, was it the host of all the teams at the time, the official uh, on-air radio host of all the teams. Uh, Hank Goldberg was the afternoon drive host and Hank was complaining that he had no help in the rat infested bug infested studios mm-hmm. that he would love somebody to come in here and, and be an intern uh, and help out and give scores and, and updates and stuff like that. So um, I, I volunteered. The, the radio station was two miles from my high school. So I walked in there and said, I'll be an intern. And I was an intern throughout the spring, and uh, throughout the winter and spring, if you call it winter in Florida. Um, and then I got accepted to the University of Florida, but I wasn't starting until the fall admission. And so I went to the programming director and said, hey, I'm here all summer. I'll do whatever. Cut tape, cover teams, whatever you need me to do. And he said, well, you know, the Marlins play-by-play guys would really need an intern in the booth. And that could be getting them scores off the ticker, getting them popcorn, whatever it takes as an intern. So I said, sure, I'll do it. Um, and that was 1996. That summer, I was with the team the whole year uh, until I went to school. And then while I was now a broadcast student, changed from uh, pre-law to broadcasting and got into it at the radio station at the University of Florida covering their athletic events, um, I went back and said, can I do it again the next summer? Uh, and they took me back, and that was the year they won the World Series. And it can can continue the path of I'm now in the media industry, did some TV. And I, I, I always joke that I could have written the book about being a professional intern because I did about five of them in the Florida sports media industry between TV and radio stations. Um, but also got to know the, the Marlins organization and their PR staff uh, and the wonderful people who worked that 96, 97, and 98 seasons pre- World Series during the World Series and then the meltdown of the next year that was a 54 and 108 slog. I worked all three of those seasons, uh, put me on the radar, helped me get a job out of college at the baseball winter meetings with their single A affiliate in Kane County, eventually Marlins PR, then Albuquerque Isotopes were the Marlins AAA team. And we speak here for hours about how that all went down. But 
it was all related to the Florida Marlins, who I, I started out as an intern within through the WQAM radio station back in 1996. And that's what started it all. Um, and then obviously working in sports information at school, um, working in the sports media industry at various stops in North Carolina, Chicago, Albuquerque. Now I'm in Bristol, Connecticut, having worked for ESPN uh, for 18 years prior to my move over. But that that's where it all started, down in Cooper City, Florida, uh, working for various sports media entities down there from WQAM to TV stations, et cetera. Well, you're a radio guy, so you've already got my uh, heart because that, that's my uh, beginning in media. Okay, your media relations, and what exactly does that job entail? Because are you the guy that when I reach out and say, hey, David, uh, this stud pitcher, Levon Hernandez or Gary Sheffield, I want to get him on an interview. And you say, well, I can't get you Levon, but I can get you uh, our, our backup third baseman. Is that, are you the guy who, 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 who would do that? Yeah. I mean, I did that and, and a lot more uh, while working, which is how I got into PR. I'm, I'm working with the WQAM radio as their intern with the Marlins in, in their, the radio station press box, working with the Marlins broadcasters when the Marlins got good and all of a sudden they were contending in 1997, it was like a, a, a two team race between them and the Braves. So the, the Braves and the Marlins had this mini rivalry in 96 in 97. Um, you're talking about the great Braves teams of Greg Maddox and Chipper Jones and, you know, Tom Glavin. And whenever they were in town, the show would come from the stadium. They, they would do the show from the stadium and I was the intern. So I'd be the runner who would go get the players. And this is before, text messaging and, you know, emailing PR directors. I literally would go into the Braves clubhouse and talk to the PR director and say, I need to grab a player. And yeah, let's go ask Greg Maddox if he can join the Hank Goldberg show. And then I would take him and we'd go to a, again, not exactly cell phones in 1997. So clubhouse phone and pick it up and call into the radio station or find a phone somewhere in the bowels of the stadium and get the hookup to, uh, to WQAM. So that, that's where it started. And then if you fast forward years later, working in media relations, yes, you're now the media relations director in single A ball and triple A ball and, and working for the Marlins. And yeah, I would help the PR staff. And specifically when I was in Albuquerque, because Albuquerque, it was, it was my show. I was the director of media relations. Um, I had people interning for me for the first time. I was getting paid to do this. And yes, I was in charge of, of the media guide, uh, the programs, all the media information, working with the newspapers and radio stations, um, Blogs were in its infancy. Today, it's social media craze and Twitter and everything and Instagram. But yeah, back then it was set the players up with their interviews, get feature stories done. Heck, I would go to different TV stations in Albuquerque and go on air and say, hey, this Friday we're, we're giving away this beach ball, so come get it. And all of a sudden, the local station would put the list of isotope promotions and media relations. You're promoting your team. You're talking to uh, the newspapers. You're talking to social media your TV stations would come out and interview players. And, and yeah, that's basically what media relations was. It's different at different levels, you know, single a ball. There's not a lot of player features. Um, I, when I did single a ball, it was in a suburb of Chicago and not sure if you know, but Chicago has the Cubs and white Sox. So single a ball is not exactly at the top of the media's list. It is for the fans who want to be able to afford to go to a game. Um, so that's a little bit harder, but you know, Albuquerque was a college town that happened to have a major minor league baseball team. So it became a little bit more focused on them. Plus, it was a new team in a new stadium. And oh, by the way, their parent company went on to win the World Series with some of their players. So um, that's what I did pretty much 
96 to 05 before going to ESPN was broadcasting and media relations. Same thing at University of Florida SID department. You're setting up, you're giving out the game notes, doing storylines, and you're setting up the interviews with the players as well. How does the uh, ESPN thing happen? Is it through your connections, through media relations, dealing with them? Is it you apply for a job posting or is it they headhunt you and they they want to steal you uh, over to ESPN? combination of all three uh the the actual story was espn was doing one of their sports century features on john wetland who is the former yankees reliever uh mid 90s who went on to become a, a pitching coach in major and minor leagues and at the current at that current time in 2004 he was uh actually it was 2003 was the first time i got contact with them they wanted to do a feature on him. And he was the pitching coach for the Oklahoma city Redhawks, who at the time was the AAA affiliate of the Texas Rangers and not throw anybody under the bus, but the PR person at the time was non-responsive, did not return any of ESPN's emails. Um, and then they came to Albuquerque for, for a matchup. We were division rivals and so ESPN reached out to me and said, Hey, we can't get through to Oklahoma city. So can you set this up? We'll come to Albuquerque and do it. And I said, yeah, it's my job. And uh, I went over and set it up with John Wetland, and they did the whole feature on him right there in Albuquerque. And afterwards, the field producer said, hey, here's my card. Still did business cards back then. Uh, if you ever need anything, let me know. And I said, well, I got something for you, and I handed him my resume. And I said, hey, just if you're ever in Bristol, here it is. Um, my resume was passed along to the ESPN Stats Information Department, which at the time was just production research. And it was a, uh, a group of people who sit there and do the stats and research behind all of their live programming. Anything from uh, what started as Baseball Tonight to college football uh, shows, including college football game day with the Bear, Chris Velika, um, and SportsCenter. And any other show on the network that eventually, you know, you work your way up and you become the golf researcher. And now I'm doing um golf remotes you can sort of see the flags in the background traveling to do masters us british opens um but every single show and it's still to this day if you watch espn every show has a researcher with it even monday night football will have a researcher there behind the scenes uh giving the commentators either in in the from the truck into the booth with like joe and and troy or post and pregame show or back in Bristol with if the show's back there. Scott Van Pelt's show has a researcher worked on that a little bit. Um, that that was the genesis of how I got to ESPN from media relations and stats into their stats department and then worked your way up through the funnel there over over 18 years. Hey, I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professionals have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Not available in the U.S. Now back to the show. Yeah, I remember um, hearing, so Chris Collinsworth does the Sunday night football game. And obviously, Chris Collinsworth also owns Pro Football Focus, so he would get always a couple of employees to come with him yep. to feed him some unique stuff. And uh, that that's kind of uh, my, my thought process and memory of that. So you obviously, you spend a long time at ESPN in different roles. The One, one of them I want to talk to you specifically about is you spend, you spend some time in the ESPN stats and info department, and they got this great Twitter account, like... Mm -hmm. 2 million followers and they're always tweeting some some crazy stuff about like historical stuff of like this is the first time it's happened since 1895 now i don't understand how you can have a database of that wide 
and I'm assuming there's like a million filters to get the to get that information. Who's coming up with ideas of like let's let's dig and find a unique stat or a situation? Is there a whole team? Like how big is the roster? When I joined, it, I was number 25 at the time. Um, they'd expanded to 25. When I left uh, six months ago, the stats information department had over 150 people. Um, in terms of pure researchers on the content team, on the shows, doing what you mentioned about Collinsworth, whether it's Monday Night Football with Joe and Troy, whether it's College Game Day where you saw uh, Chris the Bear Felica, that roster is probably in the 45 to 50 range. And then there's a whole team that handles the bottom line scroll that you see on your TV that has stats, scores, information, and news. And then there's a whole team of probably 20 full-timers and another 100 and something part-timers for the busy college weekends uh, that, that do the live tracking of the scores and, and the highlight. They basically, you know, you're live tracking a basketball game so you can go back and find out how many times LeBron James was, was in ISO or how many times he was double teamed or pick and rolls because that's not in the box score. You know, the box score is the box score, but everything beyond that comes from video tracking, which they have an entire team who does that. They have an entire team that loads rosters, entire team that does scrubbing of box scores. The stats info team is 150 deep. Um, and in terms of what they use with the, you're talking about the databases. Uh, when I first started, we, we had a relationship with, with the various stat agencies, most notably the Elias Sports Bureau, which you'll hear people drop all the time, you know, Tim Kirchin, big fan of, of the Elias Sports Bureau and using their content. And when I worked on Baseball Tonight, I had a Elias Sports Bureau researcher sitting next to me at all times because baseball is the, the sport of all sports when it comes to statistics. He's a statistics on everything, um, whether it's regular stats, advanced stats, et cetera. So I would have a, uh, a researcher with me and researching the show and we were getting Carl Ravage and John Crock and Buster only all of their information. Um, more recently, they've moved to creating their own. Once you're starting to bring all the stats in through the various feeds and we have direct feeds to all the major sporting events and, and, and leagues, uh, you start creating your own database databases. I created a, a BCS database back in the day that had all the rankings that came out for the six weeks leading up to the BCS, but there's a true media database for baseball and football. And some of it's powered by our content and some of it's powered by Elias's content. And, you know, there's, there's other at the time stats, Inc., et cetera. Uh, but it's a collaborative effort in terms of think tank and ideas. Every person in that department has the ability to create stories. And the motto being deliver the most insightful, accurate, and fast information on the planet. And and there's no there's no better group of people that I've worked with in my entire life than the stats and information department that I personally spent 11 years in of my 18, uh, sorry, 14 years of my 18-year career at ESPN uh, from an entry-level researcher all the way up to associate director of content. Um, just every day there's meetings uh, upon meetings about storylines, and we have uh, preview packets, in-game packets, post-game packets. Every show the company has has a show meeting where they talk with the talent, producers, researchers, walk through all of the different content we're going to talk about, and then you have the statistical angle behind it. All right. Um, finally, in April 2019, after 14 years at ESPN, you become the deputy editor of sports betting. Um, were you sports betting before, like growing up throughout your time at ESPN? When does that position, first of all, become a thing? Like when does ESPN understand sports betting has got to be a thing that we need to put some resources in? 
Yeah, it was a it was a slow process that I stayed on. Um, was one of the survivors of it that that kept pushing it from the beginning. I, I go back to you asked the question how long I, I've always had an affinity for sports betting. You can't go where into how much so because it was illegal before twenty eighteen. No, where did it start for you? Like kid, are you a teen? What age do you get like learn that this is a world? And do you remember what you were betting when you first started? A uh, combination of barbershop parlays, being at the barbershop and my dad's barber having running a little parlay card system where yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad, not to throw him under the bus, was doing it, you know, $10 weekly. And one day I was in the chair and my dad would still say to this day that nobody knows more about sports than 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 his son. And he gave me the card and said, pick three. So I picked three and it won. And you're hooked. Okay. That's how it goes. Um, I always remember my dad taking me once to Highlight in Dania Beach, um, which was can be fun even outside of the gambling. It's still the world's fastest sport, even though it's died off. Yeah. Um, but a big fan of Highlight, even beyond the betting, the actual sport itself. And my dad's like, well, I'm going to get him out of this parlay nonsense because I'm going to show him how to lose because betting is not a long-term winning thing. Um, and we hit for Quinellas that night of the eight games. So the process of showing me how to lose didn't work. Um, I got into playing cards at an early age. Won't tell you how early, but I played a lot of poker when I was a kid. So I was surrounded by the the, the action of wanting to do it. I, I lived 15 minutes from what is now Hard Rock Casino in Fort Lauderdale. Back then they just had a cigarette infested poker room, seven card stud and hold them. Yeah. Um, but over time, you know, there are ways to bet sports prior to 2018 and yeah, not going to so. sit here and deny that I wasn't part of that. Yeah. Um, and would always want to push the content at ESPN. And in 2014, um, Fox sports one was launching. Fox was launching Fox sports one, which at the time ESPN considered a potential competitor laugh at it now. And nobody can find FS one on their dial. But yeah. uh, at the time we had think tank meetings about how we were going to combat the fact that, Fox was launching a station that potentially could take away ESPN viewers. And I raised my hand and I said, sports betting. I'm like, what do you mean? I go, Fox is going to lean into sports betting because they are more, they take bigger chances than other media agencies do. Yeah, they do. They have, they have, uh, they've always had a wide risk of right. content. Right. I mean, that goes back to the married with children stage. Who doesn't remember watching married with children, which was, if you think about it, like now we laugh, but that type of television didn't exist in the nineties. That's not something that that was a risk. Um, now every show is like that. Um, but same frame mind that they're going to do sports betting. So let's do something about it. And it was like, yeah, great idea. But Disney and ESPN aren't going to do that right now. But, you know, if you want to keep it as a hobby, as a niche area, sure, push it. And I did I would push content to Sports Center, And every once in a while, they would show the the odds to win the next Super Bowl after the Super Bowl. Or they would show the odds to win the next NBA Finals. So every once in a while, that would show up very small. Um, but everybody, it was, it was fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. But during the process, uh, Chad Millman, who now runs the action network was the uh, editor in chief of ESPN.com met with him as two of the quote unquote OGs of sports betting at ESPN and said, we can do more. And then we got into a, uh, a purchase agreement with the gold sheet out in Las Vegas to purchase their databases. So, uh, they sent us their databases for an unnamed price. Uh, that consisted of some files digitally and some files looked like I had found the Dead Sea Scrolls where I had 
ledgers back to the 50s from old school Vegas. Exactly what you would think if you were writing a movie about betting in the 50s and 60s in Vegas. I now had that data in ledgers. Um, and we spent the next two or three years putting that into our databases. So we had more and more content. Uh, right now, ESPN has an all games NFL database that goes back to the year of the first Super Bowl, where there's every line, total money line, and 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 you add regular stats to it, like quarterback and head coach and this and that for every single game since 1966. And then you do that for NBA all the way back to Jordan's first year. And you do it for college football all the way back to the merger of FBS and FCS um, and, and on and on and on. And we started building that because lo and behold, in 2018, PASPA overturned the federal ban on sports betting and it was poof. All of a sudden sports betting is legal. And it's like, all right, now the corner offices in Bristol are, all right, what can we do here? And I'm like, hey, remember me? The guy from the last couple of years, I asked to do a show and built databases and keep pushing content. Oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's do that. Um, they okayed a pilot for a betting show, based on meetings that we had where we had pitched it. Um, I believe it was Thanksgiving of 2018, so probably like four or five months after Passport was overturned. And I figured we'd put the pilot to tape. Um, we'd find out. Maybe they would do it. Maybe they wouldn't. Went all the way up to Disney, the top, Bob Iger. And I figured, hey, if I'm lucky, we would have a green light for the fall of 2019. Uh, found out right after the holidays, January, uh, that the show was greenlit for March Madness. Okay, well, you now have 10 weeks to put a show together. So I pretty much got taken off all my other duties that I was doing to work with our production units to put together a brand new show, um, which includes... It's now Daily Wager, by the way, if you watch Daily Wager, which is on Monday through Friday. Uh, it's actually now on Saturday and Sundays, it's Monday through Friday and Sunday when I was there. Um, I believe they're off Tuesday and Wednesday now. Uh, but that was how Daily Wager started. Um, and we launched in March of, 29, of, March of 2019, uh, just before, or was that March of 2020? Yeah, March of 2019. Uh, yeah, because we had it on for one full year before we were going to move it to Vegas and then COVID hit. And that's a whole other story. Um Hey, the easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like Betstamp. Betstamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking Betstamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sports book account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. You sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode, which I want to get into. Um, uh, <laughs> we, we, we don't have ESPN in Canada. Um, so like I wasn't exposed to the world of Daily Wager and how fast uh, American traditional media started to get around it. My question is, are they converting uh, other employees? Are they, are they asking around, do you know anything about betting? Do you like betting? Or outside of acquiring the gold sheet, are they looking to hire people within uh, the sports betting yeah, field. There was definitely a change in mindset in, in May of 2018 when PASPA overturned it. Um, you know, by November we had pitched a, um, a show and by January it was greenlit for March of 2019. We had had a website, ESPN Chalk, which is now ESPN Sports Betting, uh, that was producing betting news and content, but it was kind of lumped in with everything else. Like it was lumped in with poker and, and esports uh, and MMA and UFC and all that. And then 
as we were launching the show in March of 2019, the guy who was running ESPN.com, who replaced Chad Millman, uh, wanted to expand ESPN Chalk and make it an actual vertical on its own in its own area um, and promoted me to out of the stats department to run ESPN Chalk. And that's what I spent the next four years doing before coming to Pro Football Network because I was the deputy editor of sports betting. Uh, but it started with the databases. It started with the pitching of the show. We were having um, monthly meetings that when talked about content, all of a sudden sports betting now had a part of it. So you would go to a planning meeting for Sports Center and other shows and normally be going right down the list of sports. And all of a sudden sports betting, hey, anybody from sports betting? And we started, I mean, it was a, five-man department at that point. Like it wasn't an actual department. It was just borrowing resources. Uh, but we would attend those meetings and we would say, hey, here's the content that we think would work. And now people were open to it. Yeah. Open to it. All right. So I shouldn't be afraid to. It's not that hidden thing. Center. It's not that thing you hide in the closet. It's like right. poker. Po- poker was the bad reputation. Right. And then it became, oh, it's cool to play poker. And sports betting kind of has taken the same evolution. Yeah, it was like, it, you know what it was. It was tongue-in-cheek. Someone would do a highlight and say, that last touchdown means something for somebody. And, hey, the people in the desert didn't like. Yeah, Al, Al no Michael lo- was, the, yeah. Was, the king, was the king of that. No longer needed to hide it. So, yeah. you know, what ESPN platforms showed in February of 2018 and what they were showing in the fall of 2018 were drastically different. Um, obviously, you start getting something like bad beats on Scott Van Pelt show, which I was part of a group of people who thought of doing an editorial column on bad beats. And then it turned into a TV segment, which is now well-known throughout the industry. Um, college game day, Lee Corso, when he used to make his picks, he'd be like, I expect Fuller state to win by six and an extra point. Okay. You expect him to cover the seven. I get it. Now you can say it. Now you can show it. And this is all 2018, 19, 2020 launching a show officially having a five day a week sports betting show that has the com- L screen compression um, that has all of the information on it that I was helping design and expanding chalk into its own vertical and having it in the app. It wasn't in the app before because the app has a certain age restriction and what do you get around that? And then you change all that and all of a sudden sports betting's in the app. Um, and then obviously going further into April, May of 2019, where we make a deal with Caesars to be the official ads provider of ESPN. Now you're really monetizing it. Um, you have link out deals and you can then click and go to DraftKings from the ESPN.com and all those things came. And obviously you've seen the latest news of them working a deal up with Penn Gaming to be ESPN Bet, which will launch sometime in the, you know, in the next couple of months. And um, acquiring uh, Pat McAfee, who was being paid right. handsomely by FanDuel at the time. So like right. ESPN is like, now there's no hesitation. Right. They've jumped right into the deep end with this stuff. Yeah. And that was, that was the genesis of it. That was the background of it. And now, yeah, now it's on every platform. Um, you're not afraid to do it. There are still limitations. to what you can do each league still has its rules and, you know, ESPN's not taking bets, um, but they're involved with the sports books and they're promoting sports betting content. And there's commercials on television on ESPN that you never saw before and all that stuff. It all started in May of 20, 2018. David, how far do you think it goes? Because right now we're being inundated with sports betting content. There's some traditionalists who are pushing back and saying, I don't care about this stuff. And right now the money's flowing, right? The books are paying uh, good money to these, uh, to these media companies and everybody's doing it. Are we going to hit a point where it, it, it goes too far and we've got to scale back again? 
or, or or do you just see right now upward trajectory with, without any hesitations? I think there'll be some limitations on the commercials. I think the commercials have gone to the point where it's inundated to the fan that doesn't have any interest in it. And there's some truth to that. You don't necessarily need 47 sports betting commercials during a game. So there are limitations, but I don't think there'll be any limitations on content at the end of the day. And especially from my point of view, my job for 18 years at the company, no matter what my role was from entry level researcher to associate manager of the bottom line scroll to deputy editor of sports betting, my role was always had one thing in common. It was to produce the most compelling content for the network. That's what it was. What is the most compelling content, whether it's statistics related or not, storyline driven, what is the most compelling storyline? And my pitch was always, that's great that you can say Tom Brady is seven and one all time at Miami. But what if I told you he was two and six against the spread? That's also a good note. Like Tom Brady's teams have won, but they don't cover. So they're close games. And you start working that stuff in and, you know, the end result is you have more tools at your disposal to sell compelling storyline content, which is the mission of ESPN's main mission is to serve the fan. So I think my, I think my question is, do you, does, does all content or the mainstream live content end up becoming all encompassing uh, fantasy sports betting and traditional as in who's going to win at fandom? Or do you think they have to create a second branch and fully embrace the sports betting and fantasy and give people a choice of what they want to watch. Do you think it's going to be over time, uh, people's interests change and ev eventually everybody's going to evolve into liking fantasy and sports betting? Also, as the demographic, you know, the older demographic gets older and the younger guys who grew up on this stuff, uh, when we're we're when we're we're in our forties and fifties. Uh, it's almost ex it's expected. Do you see a merging of that idea or do you think they have to keep two separate broadcasts? I think a little bit of both. I think on the, the written part and the digital part, you'll see it all combined. You know, you can write a whole column about a game and then mix in some betting content. Uh, but in terms of broadcasts, I think it'll be separate. Like for years, we did a separate betcast at ESPN during Monday Night Football and wildcard games. We had a separate broadcast. Um, on ESPN Plus or ESPN News because you didn't want to just shove it down a normal viewer's throat. I don't think you'll ever see the day where a national broadcast is all sports betting. Like, you know, Joe and Troy can drop a betting line or a nugget, but they're never going to have like a full-fledged betting thing in a Monday Night Football broadcast. But your halftime show might be sponsored by DraftKings and, you know, yeah. Scott Van Pelt on Monday Night Football Countdown might do a segment on betting. Um, but you would use like daily wager or stuff like that as a pregame show leading in on a different channel. For instance, we did uh, 2021, we did uh week one, Monday night football. There was the main broadcast with, I believe at the time it was Steve Levy and company. And uh, was it Levy um, of Lasky and, and Lewis Riddick did the ESPN ABC broadcast. ESPN two had this brand new thing called the Manning cast that nobody knew if it was going to take off. Yeah, it has. And ESPN plus had the bet cast. So you had your normal traditional broadcast. You had your second screen. Let's watch the Manning brothers talk about the game from their perspective. And then you had the betting angle. I think that's the model going forward. Mm. Um, we're developing things at pro football network where um, as soon as I'm off the phone with you, I'm going to go tape a 
betting podcast for Thursday Night Football. I'm going to tape with our betting director. We're going to give our picks for betting night football for, for Thursday Night Football. But if you don't want to listen to that, you can go listen to our Bengals podcast or our Dolphins podcast or our Cowboys podcast. You don't have to listen to them. Yeah. Um, maybe next week or the week after, as we get closer to the midseason of the NFL, I might be on the Dolphins podcast giving my thoughts on where the Dolphins stand halfway through the season. But it's not going to be the full thing. So yeah. you can integrate it. But you also have to make sure that there is its own entity in case you want it. Like we currently have a YouTube channel for fantasy and a YouTube channel for NFL content. We don't have one for betting yet. That's coming. But yeah, it's also the first year we're doing real full fledged betting content at Pro Football Network. I am going to uh, ask you about your time, uh, your transition to Pro Football Network. One last note: I can bet my last dollar that right now media companies are focus grouping the hell out of what how much is too much sports betting content and how much is enough because they're they want to know this is what media companies do they focus group these things they pay big money to learn about how far they can push the parameters you um leave uh espn to go to pro football network you're in charge of all content is am i right by that and and you guys you guys aren't the only ones who are not just branching out of football and doing fantasy and betting and the draft Pro Football Focus took the same angle. And I remember the transition four years ago where it's like, first it was fantasy. And, you know, everybody everybody wants to know how this affects their fantasy team. And then now it's there's a betting aspect. And it almost feels like all media companies have to do this now. It's the, it's the three-headed monster that you have to serve. Because there's the guy who all he cares about is if his bills win this week. Then there's the guy who all he cares about is that, uh, you know, uh, Justin Jefferson gets a touchdown for his fantasy team. And then there's the guy who all he cares about is if the Vikings are going to cover the spread this week. Right. There's three different customers. Oftentimes there's a lot of overlap, but you got to provide everything for them. Um, what, what is your role right now at Pro Football Network? What are you in charge of everything? Sure. Uh, con- I'm in charge of all the content. Uh, we have four pillars. We have NFL news and analysis, which includes um national coverage as well as specific beat coverage on the cowboys dolphins and and um and Bengals. we have reporters in all three cities Mm -hmm. uh we have a fantasy lane which is all things fantasy that has been there since the beginning of the company uh we have a scouting and college recruiting angle which if you ever play with our mock draft simulator that's part of what built the site a tool that everybody uses to go do mock drafts in does really well for us obviously in march and april uh and then the betting wing which um we, we we've had betting content before on pro football network but we are formally have a betting vertical now where i hired a betting director brian lewis from caesar sportsbook in in july to head up our betting uh we have part-timers and contractors putting together stuff and we have increased our betting content uh tenfold over last year and and uh, month over month from september we're we're up three times our page views um, I oversee all of that. So I have directors overseeing every single vertical and then they all report up through me um, and we're trying to expand even more. So you're right about the three, four headed monster. Like it, it's, it's all about driving revenue. And if you just sit on NFL, you're going to lose out on fantasy. If you just sit on fantasy, you're going to lose out on betting. And, you know, you go to our website, you can read our betting articles, but you could also go and click on our link to DraftKings, and it'll take you there and you can deposit, convert, first-time depositor and bet through DraftKings and the company gets credit for that. And yeah, there's a red share when it comes to affiliate that. Link. Yeah. The, yeah the, we, we have affiliate stuff and, you know, at some point we're hopeful that we're going to have, you know, an odds provider deal like ESPN did. So um, 
I called it a hard reset when it came to our betting content because really, if you go back and look last year, it was sort of like, yeah, our fantasy writer will also write some betting stuff and our dolphin yeah. writer will write some betting stuff. We have a betting department now and we write betting stuff to write betting stuff. You either do it right or don't do it at all, right? right? Doing it with one toe in is not uh, the the approach at all. Um, who created your mock draft simulator? Because I, I think I know who it is. It's it's the guy who created uh, relative athletic score, right? Um, I don't know his background yeah, yeah. when it comes to it's that. Kent, Kent Lee Platty. I had yes. him on as a, as yes. a guest. Uh, yes, that is his name. I didn't know he had created that as well. Yeah. That obviously came before me, but Ken... Um, yeah. Um, I believe his name is, I mean, you said his name, but he also has his nickname. Math, is Math Bomb. He created Math Bomb. Yes. the re relative athletic score where each draft prospect is rated based on everybody who's ever uh, tested. This is the guy who came out and said Anthony Richardson is the most athletic quarterback yeah. in the history uh, of football, right? So yes. um, I, I remember. Uh, I remember yes, Math Bomb. Yeah, I remember first playing with the simulator when he was on as a guest, and he told me he created it. Um, one more, uh, one more question for you: um, Where do you think content goes in five years? Right? Is there going to be an evolution of 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 content? Because right now it feels like we're drinking water out of a fire hydrant. Right? Just everywhere you go, you're getting so much of it, and everyone's fo focusing on quantity and maybe less of quality. Do you think that that's inevitable? Uh, this is the new thing. And until the next new thing happens, it's going to be overloaded and everybody's going to try to create an angle in the sports betting space. I mean, with sports betting, you have to do it the right way. You have to have the most compelling stats and storylines. You can't just have random stuff out there. Um, I do think you're going to see a massive consolidation with sports betting, media companies and books. You see ESPN doing the deal with Penn Gaming. Um, points bet with NBC. Uh, you just saw that um, Fanatics just bought points bet because points bet was with them. Um, I think Fan you're going to. Uh, FanDuel created its own channel, uh, Pinnacle with the Hammer Betting Network. I is it going to be sports books are married to the, the, the sports betting content providers? They are. And CBS was with Caesars for a while, and ESPN was with Caesars for a while, and they still are until they transition to Penn. You know, you're not going to get rid of the MGMs and Caesars of the world, but Caesars did pivot recently from betting content. Uh, to more entertainment-focused stuff. They still have Caesars Sportsbook, but they don't have the content wing that DraftKings now does um, or that Penn's going to have with ESPN. So um, I think you are going to see a bigger focus on consolidation in the sports betting industry. All right, David, I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, that's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest, David Behrman, Chief Content Officer at the Pro Football Network, the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go, like the content, subscribe, share, and comment. We'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees podcast where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time.